You may ask yourself, how did I get here? <laughs> this is not my beautiful wife. This is not my beautiful house. It's the taste of love. And the water's burning. Let the water hold me down. your host adam sane and of and course always, this guy your co-host your delightful charming charismatic co-host <laughs> luke <laughs> as always yeah and we have uh, kind of in the background our friend sean here he's just listening in he's he's too shy to talk tonight so hello we got uh zach's not here again and uh but uh on the line you know we're kind of going through like a kind of like a our Halloween time right now, centering it's October, and I have on the line uh, Mr. Pat Fitzhugh, and uh, Pat's someone I've known about for a long time. He is also a local Nashvilleian, just a, just like us, and uh, we're going to talk tonight about the Bell Witch, and maybe talk a little bit about some of the other kind of hauntings that are around the Tennessee area, and try to keep it kind of like Tennessee, kind of a local thing, and I know there's a lot of people out there that probably haven't heard about the Bell Witch, which always kind of surprises me because I've known about it for so long. But uh, Pat, welcome to the welcome to Conspiranormal. Hey, how you doing? Glad you could have me. Hey, thank you for coming on. We we really appreciate it. Well, I want to kind of get into it, uh, like about the Bell Witch and kind of like how you got interested specifically in the story. Oh, that goes back a long time. Uh, when I was I was a kid, my mother would read me stories before bedtime, and you know I was one of those different kids, so to speak. For me to really get relaxed, I would need ghost stories, and that was, you know, that was what I liked. And my mother told me stories about the Bell Witch, and that's when I first heard about it. Right. Hello? Hello? Hello, you there? Okay, yeah, we're here. Okay, sorry about that. I had a difficulty on this end. Yeah, no problem. It's Skype. It happens. <laughs> okay. So you're talking about uh, you had a, like a, an interest in the Bell Witch from, from childhood? Yeah, it was really uh, way early on and then just built from there. So what are kind of like um, from what are kind of like the sources of the story of the Bell Witch? Where do we get the material that uh, was written about the Bell Witch and how how historically accurate is some of it? Uh, the material that I found while writing the book came from family records, church records, court records military records, all sorts of information. Um, the actual legend piece about the Bell family was first written about in 1846 
by one of their sons who had experienced the phenomena. And then the first commercially published account was in uh, uh, 1894, written by a man named Ingram. And, you know, those were my main uh, sources in the research. And as far as historical accuracy, you know, it's kind of hard to, to say because so much time has passed since all of this allegedly happened. You know, I run into things in my research all, all the time that pretty much debunk a lot of the myth surrounding the legend. But there's also, you know, quite a few things that uh, substantiate or back up other parts of the legend. And, you know, the legend is actually, the Bell Witch is actually a moving target, as it has been for years. Because what we're dealing with is a story that's been around a long time, and it keeps getting embellished. You hear more and more about it every day. You know, sometimes there may be a kernel of truth. Other times it may just be the imagination or, you know, the snowball effect of this legend being passed down and down through the ages and through the through the people. Okay, so we have some pretty fairly reliable sources. I mean, we have a son that was um, that experienced some of it firsthand. Um, so I'm going to kind of run down the story. Uh, how did the how did the haunting start? And what I mean by that is like um, John Bell the the um, kind of becomes like kind of the crux of the case. Um, he runs into some kind of creature. Yeah. Yeah. The first account we have of something being uh, irregular on the Bell Plantation was when John Bell was out inspecting his cornrows one day, and he saw this strange-looking creature had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. And... Uh, legend says he just looked at it and it stared back at him, would not move a muscle. Then he oh. fired he fired a shot at it, dead on, but it, it vanished. You know, it didn't die or, you know, hobble away, but it's like it disappeared at the very split second that he pulled the trigger. That was the first indicator of something strange. And then from there, things got you know, progressively worse. Uh, kids started seeing uh, an old lady wandering around in the pear orchard, and then she would disappear behind a tree and never come out. Uh, one of the Bell's sons, older sons actually, uh, noticed a strange bird flying around the farm, and anytime he would take aim at it to try and shoot it, uh, it would just disappear. And, you know, that that was going on for a while in the spring and summer of 1817. And then when it started to get colder in the fall of that year, uh, the family began hearing knocking sounds at the walls of the house, uh, the sounds of chains being dragged across the floor. And the kids even said that, you know, as they lay there trying to go to sleep at night, they would hear what sounded like rats or something gnawing at the bottoms of their bedposts. Hmm. And it just got and there. Oh, go ahead. And it just got worse from there. So there was also that uh, the bell started having like an affinity for one of the daughters, and started abusing one of the daughters. Yeah, very, from very early on, 
the thing took a special interest in the youngest daughter, Elizabeth, also known as Betsy Bell. And all throughout the four years of these disturbances, she bore the brunt of the physical part of the disturbances. Uh, even, even early on, she would be slapped, uh, have her bed colors, pu- covers pulled back, uh, have, feel something pulling her hair and even tying her hair in knots. And when her parents would run into her room, the candles lit, trying to find, you know, the culprit behind all this, they never could find anything. Um, so, yeah, the thing really had a, an issue with her early on. And then later, after she became interested in one of the boys that lived nearby, they became engaged. Then the Bell Witch entity, over time, legend says, talked her out of the engagement with the guy. Right. So it's just like they, she went and like abused the, the guy that she had, uh, was engaged to and was constantly like talking and which we can kind of get into later. But, uh, the, it seemed like it went through stages. Like the bell, Witch didn't, uh, at first didn't say anything. It was just objects moving. And then, uh, all of a sudden she started speaking. Yeah, exactly. This thing known as the Bell Witch evolved over time from the very simple apparition out into a field to making noises and even moving objects all the way to developing a whisper, then later a voice, and even the ability to understand people, talk with them, and argue with them. It was amazing you know, how this thing evolved. Right. What would it? Uh, what would it go in, and what would it talk about to the people? Well, all of the old stories that I read gave me the the impression that this thing was a busybody type entity. Uh, a lot of gossip. Uh, it reportedly would speak during church and say that you know, like so and so's not here at church today because he was out drinking with his girlfriend last night. Uh, yeah. God bless his poor wife who's sitting here on the front row who didn't know anything about it. You know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, in one case, some visitors came calling to try and uh, experience this thing for themselves. And the two men were talking, and one mentioned about how he try- he's always tried to live a good life, never harm anybody, and that he's, you know, been a good man to the best of his ability. And the this uh, entity spoke up um, disembodied voice and said well I guess that was the case when you stole that sheepskin and come to find out this man years and years earlier had actually took a sheepskin from another man and that was like back in North Carolina this thing kind of had a propensity for gossip Uh, I guess modern day we would call it drama queen Um, more or less, Um, you know, but occasionally the thing would speak nicely about Mrs. Bell. Uh, In fact, it always spoke nicely about her when it talked about her. And also one of the neighbors named Calvin Johnson. As for everybody else in the legend, it never really had anything nice to say. Yeah, it seems like it had an affinity for, uh, for Mrs. Bell. Like it just it, like she was sick, 
and this is an interesting part of it. It's like she was sick, and then uh, the the ghost went and like pulled something uh, to her, took something to her. Yeah, she had been down with a a case of pleurisy, had been bedridden for quite some time, and she was just one day laying there to talking to herself and out loud and just mentioned something like Kate, which is what some people call the bell witch entity, said, said, Kate, I am so hungry. I wish you could bring me something to eat. Well, according to the legend, the next thing that happened was that grapes and hazelnuts fell from thin air right above her bed and landed on her bed. Then she tried to crack the hazelnuts and, of course, couldn't do it. And she said, "said Well, Kate, I'm 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 just a sick old lady. I I don't have the strength to crack these nuts." And then the nuts miraculously began cracking right there in front of her. Did she also um, pull like some like exotic fruits from other locales that like it was possible to, to have been in Tennessee at that time? Yeah, there was another case where um, some fruits had appeared, and I believe that was also for Lucy Bell, but at a, a different time. Um, actually, it was Betsy, one of Betsy Bell, the youngest daughter's birthday parties, where some mysterious fruit uh, showed up, and um, some people mentioned they didn't know what it was or where it came from, and the voice of the entity spoke up and said, Ah, I brought these to you. I've been down in the West Indies. Hmm. So it was like actually bringing things from other, from other places. Right. There was that that case, and then a couple of cases where it brought things from things from closer locations, like uh, one of the John and Lucy Bell's sons, um, his uh, Jesse Bell, his wife was sitting out on their front porch one day, and this was less than a mile from the main bell home, and all of a sudden she finds a pair of stockings, and she hears this voice that says, says, I brought these to you, old pots, that was her nickname, Uh, I want you to wear these when you die, I want you to be buried in them. Well, she looked over the stockings and noticed there was some blood on them, Uh, Mm -hmm. and said, oh, where did this come from? And the entity said, well, I got these from you uh, in the West Indies, but uh, they killed a hog over at the Bats Farm earlier this morning. Which would make you think, of course, maybe the entity, if all this is true, that is, brought it from the Bats, the stocking from the Bats Farm. But, you know, there's, there's a case of that and just a few other other cases of where things would show up, you know, that it, it had gotten nearby and brought to the Bell Home. What was the association of, you know, why did they call the ghost Kate? And also, you know, what was the association with the, with the real Kate? Okay. Um, Kate was a name given to the Bell Witch entity um, by one of the preachers, and then later the Bell family, and then even later everyone. Uh, as the result of the entity asking a, answering a question from the preacher, uh, which wa- was, 
you know, do not lie to us. Tell us really who you are, where you came from, and what you want. And the entity reportedly, according to the legend, spoke up and said, I am old Kate Batts' witch, and I'm here to torment John Bell to his grave. Well, this thing had told people it was everything under the sun. Every day it was sending people out on wild goose chases to dig up treasure and uh, carry Native American bones around, all kinds of things, you know, and then it would just laugh at them. But this latest thing, Kate Batts, kind of rang a bell, no pun intended, because Mrs. Batts' husband, Mrs. Batts, first of all, lived about a mile away, and her husband had been injured in a farming accident. I think a tree had fallen on him, and he was an invalid, so she and her uh, sons and daughter had to run their farm all by themselves, and they didn't have a lot of money, and for just a lot of different reasons, some of which are unknown, Mrs. Batts was basically an outcast or seen as a weirdo among the people in the community. So when this thing spoke up and said, I'm Kate Batts's witch, people believed it. You know, they were saying, well, yeah, okay, now that makes sense because that lady's crazy as a loon. Well, right. so that's why it kind of stuck. Um, to the, address your question about the more the real connections and things like that, in my research, I, I could find no connection of anything with Kate Batts other than the fact that she is or was related to the Bells herself. Uh, she was the niece of Lucy Bell because uh, they all had originally come from uh, North Carolina. But there was no connections with between Kate Batts and anything else or any entity, anything like that I could find. But a lot of people, I think, nowadays still feel that way uh, even though the truth has been discovered and that is that during the Bell Witch times when all of this allegedly happened a man named Benjamin Batts got into a court dispute with John Bell over the sale of a slave which actually resulted in John Bell's getting kicked out of the church well, also during this time, John Bell had a property line dispute with a man by the last name of Fort, who was the brother of his preacher. Well, when you put all that together, you get the modern-day myth that John Bell cheated Kate Batts in a business deal, and that Kate Batts came back to haunt him from the dead, which is, of course, a big myth, and it's still perpetuated everywhere. But you know, the fact was the deal bad dealing was with Benjamin Batts, her her brother-in-law, and there's no way she could have come back from the dead because records put her death 23 years after John Bell's death. Right, so she was very much alive. Yeah. Yes, very much alive and very much a scapegoat, in my opinion. Go ahead. Okay. Um, wanted to ask you about the encounter with this, uh, with a, with a very interesting encounter with Andrew Jackson. It's one of the few, like, kind of like presidential ghost stories in a way. And, you know, what, how did that encounter happen with him? Well, we don't know for sure if the encounter really happened. There's certainly no proof of it. But I think the encounter was born out of circumstance. Um, 
first and foremost, John Bell's two oldest sons fought under Andrew Jackson in the War of 1812. They were all Tennesseans, so it's conceivable that Jackson personally knew that there were men from Tennessee fighting under him, and their name was Bell. The other circumstance we have is that Andrew Jackson actually owned property just a very short distance away from the Bell farm at the time. Uh, He did not live there. There are no records of him even visiting that area. But, you know, given the two circumstances, the property ownership and the possible, you know, his possibly knowing the Bells or knowing of them, and then possibly hearing about all these disturbances, sure, he could have come by there. He could have come by there, um, you know, and maybe he encountered whatever it was that was plaguing the Bell family. But the way the legend goes, the story of it, which is by far the most popular of all the Bellwitch stories, is that John, that uh, Andrew Jackson heard about some kind of crazy thing going on up in the area of Robertson County, or what is now Robertson County, involving a couple of the Bell men and their families, and there were men who had fought under him. So he and his men came up there to investigate. And when their entourage got to a little little brook right there at the edge of the Bell property, the wagon got stuck right there in the brook and would not go no matter what they did. They would slap at the horses, they would curse the horses, and nothing would happen but then they heard this voice coming through the woods and this a whisper voice telling them it's okay men in general you can go on now i'll see you again tonight and at that point off they went no problems the horses started right up and they went on up to the bell home they camped out there in the front yard. They went in the house, had dinner with John and Lucy Bell and their family, stayed up late singing hymns, which was customary every night during those days. Everything, everything seemed very quiet. And one of Jackson's men, uh, maybe his right-hand man, maybe just one of the men in his entourage, I'm not sure, uh, decided he was going to kind of run his mouth a little bit. And he, he stated that... There is no more bell witch up here because whatever that thing is knows that I'm here. I'm a witch killer, and it knows I'll kill it. So that <laughs> that's why it's trying to hide. And he did a bit, right. bit more get that out of his mouth until he felt a huge, huge punch right into his back. He turned around to see who or what was doing it. Nothing was there. Then he felt a slap in his face really fast, followed by a really swift kick right in the butt and he went flying out the door and that's what the story says then this entity Kate, the bell witch speaks up and says well general, that man is an old fraud, he doesn't know what he was talking about he got what he deserved but guess what you have another fraud in your party general, so Jackson speaks up, oh really, I've got a fraud here I want to know who, who, which one of my men is a fraud and the, the bell witch says, you'll just have to wait till tomorrow night and I'll tell you. Hmm. But then it didn't say anything else. And, of course, Jackson's men were all like, oh, General, I'm scared. We need to get out of here. This thing is real. It could hurt us. You know, let's get out of here. You know, this is crazy. 
And but Jackson was a little different. He said, "No, if one of my men is a fraud, I want to know about it, and I'm going to stay here until I get the damn truth." Right. <laughs> well, um, they went on outside to their tents out in the front yard, and for reasons unknown, Jackson and his men suddenly left, and they were seen going through the Springfield, Tennessee, on their way back to the Hermitage in Nashville at sunup the next morning. They never did stick stick around to see who the other fraud was. Uh, did Jackson himself ever write about this? Uh, do you know that kind of like the source of the story? No. Um, there, I have not been able to find anything he has written, you know, looking like yeah. at the Tennessee Library and Archives, and there's some other sources as well. Nothing he has written stating that he has ever encountered the Bell Witch. You know, the closest we can come with any certainty is that he could have had reason to be there at some point in his life because he owned property uh, nearby. Okay. Now, some of the early accounts will tell you that, you know, he said on one occasion that he would rather fight the whole British army than have to deal with the Bell Witch. But I'm assuming that is verbal and just passed on word of mouth. Uh, but I've yet to run anything across anything written to that effect. Yeah, it could be could be apocryphal. Uh, one of the stories that I found interesting um, was about this is in your book and also about uh, a couple other but another book that I've read, and that is kind of like this idea that uh, people were seeing this witch family. And uh, they had some fairly interesting names kind of like to relay that story of the, these entities that were kind of seen around. Uh, well, was it Adams at the time or was it uh, maybe Adams wasn't there, but like I think just the Red River area was what it was called. Yes, it was called the Red River Settlement up, yeah. up until 1858 when the railroad came through and it was named Adams Station and then later on Adams so Adams wasn't actually there at the time of the Bell Witch. No, it, yeah. it was just the uh, what they call the Red River Settlement. And uh, uh, you know. did you want to want to know about the uh, the witch family appearances? Yeah. yeah, that to me, although definitely the hardest thing of all to prove, and I don't think anybody can prove it. It's also the scariest part of the legend, at least in my, yeah. my opinion. Um. After this, Bell, the Bell Witch entity had developed a voice, uh, you know, and the ability to talk, to gab, and to sing, it would more or less entertain the family and their guests late at night, every night. Um, it actually scare them to death, but it was, it, I think it thought that it was entertaining them. Every night it would do that. Well, um, after a while, and on one night, instead of hearing just that one voice the Bell family and some of their guests who had come over heard four different voices, four very distinct voices one of which included the voice they always heard, which was Kate the Bell Witch and that voice said, at least that night it said that its name was Black Dog you know, kind of like the superstitious uh, British character and also like the Led Zeppelin song, Black Dog. <laughs> and uh, right. Black Dog. Then there was a character it introduced 
which had the voice of a little girl, and its name was Mathematics. Then the next character, so yeah. <laughs> then the next character it introduced was also had the voice of a little girl. It called itself Psychography. Then the fourth character that Black Dog introduced was had the unmistakable voice of a little boy, and his name or assumed name was Jerusalem. So we had this sudden family of entities all talking uh, mathematics, psychography, black dog, and Jerusalem. Black dog was the un- undisputed ruler of this family, so to speak. Um, and this this went on for about three weeks every night. Uh, sometimes this, these demonstrations would happen and black dog would sound drunk. On uh, one occasion, somebody asked Black Dog if it had been drinking, and it said, yeah, I'd been over at the Gardener's still and just had a big old <laughs> swig of whiskey. Um, and oddly enough... How could a disincarnate entity be, be drunk? I just... <laughs> well, you're talking the Bell Witch. But, uh, yeah. And ironically, but very truthfully, during that time, Robertson County, Tennessee, was officially known as the moonshine capital of the world. Right, a lot of people had stills. It plays a big part in the history of the area. But back oh, yeah. back to this crazy witch family. You know, they would put on these demonstrations every night. and Sometimes they would try to sing. Sometimes they would talk in reverse speech. Uh, it would usually end with Black Dog yelling at and cursing the other three. Well, what really, really hit home with all this was that one afternoon, Betsy Bell went over to Sturgeon Creek, just a short distance away from her farm, to visit her older sister, Esther, and Esther's husband, Bennett Porter, on their farm. While she was over there, uh, she and Esther had been standing outside, and they noticed a very pale and feeble-looking woman slowly walking up the, the road or trail towards their farmhouse. And she had two little boy, excuse me, two little girls and a little boy in tow. And they acted weird as well. And they stopped a short distance from the house and just sat on the old log fence. And they would not respond to Betsy Bell or Esther Porter's response, uh, you know, advances. They were just oblivious to everything, like they were in their own little world. So Betsy and Esther became very afraid and went inside their log cabin and the woman and the three children casually walked across the trail and over into the field across from the cabin and began pulling down these young saplings, you know, bending them over and then straddling them and bouncing up and down, which if you were raised in the country, I'm sure you've done that a million times. I know I have, but they, they were doing that just playing over there. But it was just frightening as all get out. Well, about that time, Esther Porter's husband, Alex, came in. And they told him what was going on. And he looked. And he saw the saplings bent over and bouncing up and down. But he could see nobody on them. But Betsy and Esther could. So they convinced him to get his gun and shoot into that area. So he got his gun and took aim. And then about that time... 
Betsy and Esther saw all these figures jump off the saplings and run behind a big old log to hide. But they kept seeing the little boy sticking his head up, up above the log, looking, I guess, you know, trying to get a last second glimpse before somebody shot. So they pointed to where his, his head kept bobbing up and told Alex Porter to shoot right there. Well, he did. Blew the top of the log all to pieces right where the kid's head was. They waited a little while and then got enough nerve to walk over there, and there was nothing there except the big scrape on the wall, or excuse me, on the log. Well, that night, with the uh, when the bell witch came to the family and did all the demonstrations and the cursing and all that, it kept talking over and over about Alex Porter, uh, Esther's husband, and said, he sure is a good shot. He, he broke Jer- Jerusalem's arm from 75 yards out. Yeah. So that kind of connects. Poor Jerusalem. Yeah, poor Jerusalem. So that kind of connects those figures in with the supposed witch family that was being presented to the Bells during those three terrifying weeks. Was that the only time that they were actually seen? Uh, Yes, to my knowledge. Okay. And was there a report in in that sighting that they actually had, like, black eyes? Black eyes? Yeah. I don't know about that. I've heard a lot about the black-eyed kid syndrome. Right. That's kind of going in that direction. Yeah. Oh, that would have been interesting. I don't know if they were ever close enough, you know, for those people to, you know, for Betsy and them to tell. And, you know, if they were as afraid as the legend said, I doubt they would have wanted to you know, get too close to them. Right. Uh, what all is on the grounds out there that uh, is open to tourists? Oh, that property has been divided and subdivided many times since the uh, legend happened. Uh, You have uh, the big thing, there's the Bell School building. Uh, It was not used by this line, this generation of the Bell family, but generations later. It was built about 1919, 1920 I believe. That houses the Adams Museum and Archives. You can see a lot of old information, you know, paperwork, things like that, pictures, you know, having to do with the Bell Witch legend. Uh, okay. Also, they got a good restaurant in there, too, if you want to get a bite to eat. Outside of there and on the park grounds is an old log cabin that was put there in the 1980s. It had been moved off of a piece of land that was part of the original John Bell farm. The Tennessee Historic Preservation Committee or Commission had a an analysis done of that house um, several years ago and concluded that the house had been constructed in the late 1700s or early 1800s. So that house was conceivably constructed by John Bell and his sons, uh, or perhaps his slaves. And during the early 1800s, it is said to have been used as a slave quarters for the Bell home. So there's that. There is also a there's also a cave, uh, Bell Witch Cave, there on Keysburg Road. And there are tours of the cave, as well as a uh, cabin replica they have uh, and stuff there. There's also a cemetery. Uh, it's called Bellwood. It's on Highway 41, just just south of the schoolhouse and museum. Uh, no original 
Bell family members there, but uh, a lot of the descendants are buried there. And it has a little bit of genealogical information about the John Bell family. Okay. Those, um, those are the only places open to the public. Okay. Uh, did any kind of occurrences ever happen throughout history inside the cave? What's the significance of the cave? Okay. Can you hear me okay? I'm getting a lot of noise on my end. Can you hear yeah, me okay? Yeah, we can still hear you fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Let me... Let me just shut down my Facebook a minute. That thing takes a lot of bandwidth. Yeah, yeah I can hear you a lot better now. Significance on the cave. Uh, several historical things have happened there over the years. The story that has always stood out in my mind was Betsy Bell and some other children playing in the cave one time. And one of the little boys that was with them noticed a big room near the very back. And he wanted to see what was in there, but of course he couldn't get through the rocks. It was just too small of an opening. But he was able to stick his head through there and look. But then when he tried to pull his head out, it wouldn't come loose. His head was stuck there in that opening, and he couldn't move, and he panicked. And according to legend, the cave lit up. And suddenly something grabbed him and pulled him loose from that opening and dragged him all the way out to the front of the cave. And that night, when the bell witch was doing all of its talking and everything with the family members, it, it had made mention of freeing the boy from the cave. That is the main story that sticks out, at least with me it does, about the cave during uh, bell witch times. Uh, since then, you know, people have, you know, gone in there and claimed to, you know, feel strange feelings, hear whispers, um, some people I know years ago have t- took photographs and they were anomalous uh, for different reasons. Uh, it's also a Native American uh, burial ground near nearby as well. And I want to ask you about that uh, about the Native the bur- burial ground because I have read I don't know if it's in your book but I have read that some of the events, really all the events started to happen when a couple of the sons of John Bell were digging in a Native American Indian mound. Okay, yeah, that's definitely in the book. Um, It didn't really, that didn't necessarily trigger the events, but it was brought up at one point when Kate had been asked many times who she was and what she wanted. One of the many stories that it, Kate told was a spirit of a American buried nearby and was looking for two. Um, I'm having trouble hearing you. It's kind of cutting in and out. Yeah, I got a whole lot of trouble over here hearing you, you as well. Can Can you hear me okay now? Oh, I can hear you. Excellent. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you okay. It breaks up every now and then, but then again, I'm dealing with Comcast, so... Yeah, we are too. You know, I I just thank the lucky stars that the damn darn thing even works to begin with. (laughs) Okay, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, on, on one occasion, Kate claimed to be the spirit of a Native American buried in the woods, and that it was looking for its tooth. Well, that brought back 
to memory from memory an incident that had happened several years before the Barrel Witch disturbances, where uh, Drew Bell and Corbin Hall, his friend, had been playing around up near the northwestern corner of the farm, actually near where the cave is today, and they had unearthed a Native American grave, and they were hoping to find treasure buried with the Native American. But they didn't find any treasure, so they just took the jawbone back to the Bell home and started playing with it out there on the porch. When John Bell noticed this, he became furious gave them a stern lecture about disturbing the dead and digging on graves and disturbing them and told them to go right back up there and bury that jawbone right where they found it and never do that again. Then he went back into the house and before the boys went up there, they just you know, they were kind of upset about it, got mad, and one of them took the jawbone and slammed it down on the porch. And when that happened... Uh, several of the teeth had come out. Well, they went back and buried it, no problems. So this revelations or, or story several years later, you know, brought to light the possibility that perhaps one of the teeth had fallen between the cracks of the porch and that that's all the bell witch was, was this thing coming back trying to get its tooth. Um, they spent all the next day uh, Drew Bell, John Bell, uh, James Johnson, and some other guys uh, going up under the porch, pulling out uh, several feet of dirt, uh, digging out several feet all underneath the porch and sifting through it carefully, only to find nothing. And then when they put all the dirt back, that was when they heard a voice saying, Ah, I fooled you again. You all are so easy to fool. And it just started laughing. Huh. Like a, like a misdirection. And Luke, you were shaking your head when you were mentioned about digging into the Indian mound. Oh, uh, it wasn't about that. I guess it was something I was looking at on my phone. But, <laughs> but yeah, I I wouldn't uh, wouldn't mess with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not very I'm not a very superstitious person. But when it comes to uh, playing with the dead, you know, bones, gravestones, things like that, uh, I stay right. away from it. What? Um... Was this when they were when they went into the Indian Mound when they dug into it? Was this before um, uh, John Bell actually encountered that the dog-like creature? Um, the legend had only mentioned that it was several years before the hauntings began, so I would assume yes, it would, that it would have been before that because that when he encountered this creature early on, that is thought to have began, been the very beginning. Or at least the very right. the earliest thing that was ever written about. Um, the the Bill Witch case is, is significant in the fact that it's usually believed that it's the only time that a ghost or a haunting has caused someone to die. Um, how did uh, she cause John Bell to die? And why do you think to speculate how why she had such an so so much in for John Bell. What if it wasn't Kate Batts and there wasn't a reason? What was the reason that the Bell Witch had to to hate him so much? Okay, time for a good old long answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. We got time. The short answer, uh, the short part of the long answer is nobody really knows for sure, and it's doubtful anybody will ever find out. Um, a lot of reasons have been brought up as to why the Bell Witch seemed 
so averse to John Bell and wanted him dead. Um, the only thing that the entity itself ever offered up was just the statement that John Bell is not a good man. Well, it said that about a lot of people in the in the community. But anyway, that was the only thing it said about John Bell. And as far as the death is concerned, John Bell became ill very early on in the haunting period. Uh, it began with him feeling twitching in his cheeks and jaws, having difficulty swallowing, and sometimes uh, saying that he felt like there was a stick, a wooden stick in his mouth, uh, pointing sideways and pushing his cheeks out, where it made him feel like his, his cheeks were being pushed apart. And this got progressively worse, and he also began complaining with face twitching and uh, some other things. Everything which is very symptomatic of a um, you know central nervous system disorder. But his health continued to decline, and by the 1st of November in the year 1820, he was bedridden, and he never got out of that bed at least not on his own. Then on December 19th of 1820, he fell into a coma. Then on December 20th, that morning, he died. After he died, uh, the family gathered there in the bedroom, um, along with uh, a couple of family friends, uh, one of whom was Professor Richard Powell, uh, Betsy Bell's school teacher and uh, ad- secret admirer at the time. And, you know, they were praying and crying, you know, things you would expect people to do when their loved one passed away. And John Bell Jr. noticed over on the cover that there was a, a, a vial of liquid, very strange looking vial, that he didn't recall the doctor having dropped off. Okay. So he grabbed, he grabbed this vial of liquid and looked at it and pulled the top off, took a whiff of it. It smelled horrible. And he immediately noticed that that same smell was was coming from the area of his his dead father's mouth. And about that time, he spoke up, or excuse me, the Bell Witch entity. Well, let me back up. I, it's you know it's seven fifty three at night. I still haven't had enough coffee to get me awake yet. <laughs> um, after he smelled that smell, he thought, this has got to be poison, and my father's dead, and his mouth smells like it. So he, he summoned the family cat over to him, and the cat came over, and he made the cat stick out its tongue, and he poured a drop of it on the cat's tongue. The legend says the cat swallowed it, then jumped up in the air, did three flips, and was dead by the time it hit the floor. Then the entity's voice uh, the disembodied voice came back once again and said, Oh, yes, I gave old Jack Bell a dose of that last night, and it fixed him. You'll never get him back. Really? Yeah, and then um, Professor Powell, for some reason, gra- grabbed the vial out of John Jr.'s hand, threw it into the fireplace, and it made a pretty good size colorful explosion and shot up the chimney and that was that so based on that part of the legend um, you know many people feel um, 
that John Bell was killed by the Bell Witch entity, you know, since it, it, it you know, claimed responsibility for it. Mm. And the Bell Witch says that it was going to come back in, like, I think, like, 100 years after that. You know, what happened after the initial initial haunting? Was there anything that, that it actually did come back at a certain point? Yeah. And is it is it still there in Adams? Okay, it came back a couple of times. Um, it left at the end of that four-year haunting period in the spring of eight, or early summer of 1821 after it successfully broke up Betsy Bell and Joshua Gardner. Um it did say that it would come back and uh, visit one day. Well, for seven years, everything seemed fine and was fine. Nobody heard of Kate. And people began to let down their guards after a few years, and it was almost back to life as normal, uh, or so they thought. But then in 1828, Kate returned. Uh, it returned. It paid a brief visit to Mrs. Bell who was living alone with the exception of one child at that time, then spent the rest of the time, a period of about three or four nights, was estimated, uh, at the home of John Bell, Jr., talking with John, Jr. about the past, the present, and the future. And John, Jr. took very meticulous notes. Those notes were passed down uh, through the family, and one of his descendants eventually wrote a book about it, but basically it wasn't anything new beyond what Ingram had already said, uh, in my opinion. But um, the big thing at the end of those conversations with John Jr. was, uh, at 1828, that it would be back in 107 years and pay a visit to the John Bell's most direct descendant. So that would have put the return visit in 1935, which ironically was one year after the the book was written by Charles Bell, one of the descendants, about all these uh, conversations. And whether the Bell Witch came or not, I don't know. Um, Different people say different things. My mother was alive and well at the time and living right there in the community. And... She said she never really believed in the Bell Witch to begin with, and she said, you know, they had a, you know, trying to get out of the Great Depression and all that, they had a lot bigger things on their mind than worried about damn old spooks. At least, that, right. at least that's what she called it. Um, but you know, <coughs> the big thing is a lot of people say the Bell Witch never fully left the place to begin with because there's always been anomalies, little strange things happening here and there uh, up there in that area although not near to the extent as what reportedly happened to John Bell, his family, almost 200 years ago. Well, my friend here, Sean, wants to know that if there's anything that uh, can be done to uh, do or say to upset the Bell Witch, and I guess kind of like he's thinking along the lines, like kind of like the Bloody Mary thing where you stand in front of the mirror and conjure her up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, this thing has been going on for a long time in Middle Tennessee, especially, where you go into a room, turn out the light, stand in front of a mirror, yeah. and say you hate the bell witch. You spin around ten times, and something crazy happens. Um, a lot of kids have tried that. I tried that, and something crazy happened. I, what happened? 
<laughs> I, I got dizzy from spinning around and tripped and gotcha. fell and yeah, but, busted my head wide open. But, uh, <laughs> you know, some people say, what's wrong with me now? But anyways, uh, that whole Bell Witch thing and spinning around in the mirror, that actually comes from the Bloody Mary legend. Right. You know, it always used to be, it was always having to deal with Bloody Mary. And then I guess I would assume in Middle Tennessee, some people started applying it to the Bell Witch. Say, okay, the Bell Witch, and then the Bell Witch will come up. So that's how that that came about. You ever tried that, Luke? You going to try it tonight? Uh, no. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> Have you ever had, of going up there and investigating at Adams, have you ever had anything strange happen? Have you ever been to the cave and had anything weird happen to you over there? Well, when I've, I've been up there researching... Uh, Several years ago in Adams, uh, a couple things happened. Uh, they want, One was at a church and one was on one of the county roads there. Uh, there's a church up there with a cemetery nearby. And I was actually doing some research for another story, another project I was working on. And I was having to look at the gravestones. I was looking for a particular one so I could get the birth and de- death dates of someone uh, and their middle name. Well, when I was up there, I noticed there was there was a rabbit playing around out there in the field and, you know, out there in the graveyard. Well, you know, okay. me being from the country, growing up in the country and, and still being a, a child at heart, you know, I just had to at least, you know, just for a couple of minutes, just try to chase the rabbit, see where he would go. Um, also thinking about rabbit stew. Um <laughs> Yeah, you chase him hard enough, he'll have a heart attack, and you've got him. That's no right. old country boy secret. But anyways, I kind of walked around real fast behind it, and then it, it went underneath a big old gravestone. It's like it had a little hole or a burrow right underneath the edge of it. I looked under there, and I didn't see anything at all under there. Uh, but it had gone under there. So I decided I wanted to get it out. I'll see if I could coax it out of there, out from underneath there. So I took my hand and slapped that stone as hard as I could. Well, as soon as my hand made contact with the surface of the stone, I heard an infant baby squealing and squawking. You know, it, it was as though I had give, I had just delivered a baby for somebody and popped it right in the butt, you know, like the doctor does. And I, this, all this squawking. Well, I looked around. You know, there, are, there were houses there nearby and even a sidewalk. So I looked around. I didn't see any windows open where, you know, somebody might have had a baby in there and the baby had started crying. I didn't see anybody walking up and down the street with a stroller or carrying a baby in their arms. So that was kind of weird. But I just missed it and went on about my business for a while. And as I left, before I left, as I walked back through the cemetery toward my car, I saw that big stone again. And I thought, you know, that's odd there's no inscription on this gravestone at all but yet it looks like it's been here for probably 80 or 100 years so i thought well wonder what's on top and this thing was almost as tall as i was so i I put my hands on the top of fingers on the top of it took my hands and pulled myself up so i could look to see if there's anything written on the top and sure enough there was an inscription there and the inscription and all this huge elaborate tombstone was for guess what an infant baby right yeah there was an infant baby there but yet i heard one crying when i hit the stone so that was one of the really strange things that had happened up there don't know if it was bell witch related or not though 
The other one has to do with the field. Um, I was shooting a lot of documentary several years, a long time ago, actually, a lot of a lot of film footage for a documentary on the legend, which I still have not uh, completed, but will one of these days. We'll have one hell of a documentary. But uh, I was filming, and I noticed in a little field adjacent to the road where I was that there were three or four rabbits just running around and playing. Well, I thought that was interesting because, you know, all throughout the Bell Witch legend, this thing, this entity talked about rabbits a lot and even, yeah. and even claimed to have manifested as a rabbit on several occasions. You had the dog with the rabbit's head. Yeah, that. Yeah. And the rabbit that got in a conversation with one of the slaves one time, all kinds of rabbit stories with the Bell Witch. So anyway... Um, what I thought, well, you know, this would be a nice touch. And I'll say, well, yeah, the Bell Witch used to manifest as a rabbit. And I could just show this little B-roll footage of these rabbits playing around in a field not more than maybe 40 feet away from me. So I shot that footage, finished up, got everything back in my car. I played it back on the camcorder. And... When I did, I played back everything. And when I came to the rabbit part, there were the rabbits. Then I took it home. A few nights later, I was going through my footage. I play it back, and I see the field, but the rabbits aren't there anymore. So that's that's a concern there. You know, I don't know what, you know, how it disappeared. You know, I was talking to somebody. In fact, it was about a year ago this week. Um I don't remember all the details, but it basically had to do with the fact that possibly the, the heads on the camcorder could made it where I could see more, but yet the heads on the device through which I was playing the tape at home weren't such that I could see everything or perhaps electromagnetic difference or something. But either way, either way, the rabbits were there and then they were gone. They were gone. Yeah. Huh. Uh, well, this has nothing to do with anything paranormal, but uh, you said a little bit ago how you could keep chasing a rabbit and eventually it'll just tire and you've got it. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I've never heard that before. Like, you know, when I was growing up on the farm, uh, I would chase them and they would run into the, like the thick brush. So I could never do that. Yeah. Yeah. If they've got cover, they can they can hide in. They'll always run toward it. But uh if you follow one, I, I, I grew up with a guy. I saw him do that several times. Now, granted, the guy was very, very small and very thin. He didn't weigh much. He could run for a long time and run awfully fast. Uh, what he would do is actually get up, go beside of the rabbit, and try to, you know, try to block it off from the cover and force it to run back out into an open field and so on. Uh. But, yeah, they'll, they'll have an MI or a heart attack, myocardial infarction, whatever you want to call it. Um, that I've seen people do it all the time, like on a road where a rabbit will be running down the road, and for whatever reason, it will not veer off the road. Huh. But, but yet the person driving the car doesn't want to run over it. Sooner or later, that rabbit, you know, it's gone, and you can get it. Yeah, they're just their little hearts just give out. Yeah, now, grant, they're pretty panicky animals anyway. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, granted, that's not the most humane. Wait, no. Wait, <laughs> yeah. you well, know. if you ever 
if if uh, society collapse ever happened and you had to survive, then that's good to know. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's good you, that you can pull that in there, Luke. <laughs> oh yeah, there there are a lot of a lot of little tricks out there, but yeah, if the world were come to, to come to an end and uh, rabbits were the only thing left, I'm sure that there would be a lot fewer people trying to kill them for food than there would be people standing up with protest signs. You know, this <laughs> right. is what we've become. The, past few decades but yeah that's just pretty cruel way to kill one but i mean it can be done it has been done but yeah it's interesting i I wish that you could do the same thing with poisonous snakes though but you can't well pat i want to talk to you about uh you know getting off the bell witch topic some other things that are in tennessee and uh one of the uh the interesting um was that I found uh, kind of your, your other book about the uh, the tales from Dixie's Strange Tales was the uh, Headless Conductor in Chapel Hill, which is also here close to Nashville in Middle Tennessee. Oh, yes. Ghostly Cries from Dixie and the Headless Conductor of Chapel Hill. You know, the headless railroad worker walking down the tracks with a lantern looking for its head is just like what we call the crybaby bridge where a little baby appears out of nowhere and pushes your car over a bridge late at night in that every town and village in the south has one they all have a crybaby bridge they all have a headless conductor and chapel hill is no exception but the reason that i chose to put that one in the book is because i actually found that there was something to that it wasn't just, you know, made up over a period of years with teenagers and six-packs. Um, this was, well, there was more to this. Um, namely, after I'd heard about it for many years, I made the trip down there actually for several nights and actually set up video cameras and did, in fact, catch something. Now, I could not tell at all whether there was a human-like figure carrying this light but there was a light that came closer and closer almost to me and then went away gradually, just like the story says. Um, right. I'll have to look and see at some point. I know I've got that video file stashed away on my website somewhere, but I don't know that I have a link to it. But that was one reason I put it into the book, because I could not explain that, neither could anybody else I showed the video footage to. The other reason was that I got to talking to some people in that area uh, at a nursing home. Uh, Actually, it was not a nursing home. It was just a retirement community. And those are the best places to go if you want to know the history of a place or the history behind a haunting or want to know more of them. Best people in the world to talk to. And I learned from several people there that there had, in fact, been a railroad worker killed yeah, he, he had been run over and his head had been severed um, when he fell up underneath the passing train. So, you know, the story behind that was verified by several people. And I was able to find one old newspaper clipping that actually alluded to that story. Um, so we have that element plus the element of an unexplainable thing going down the tracks. But that's what the headless go. Uh, conductor at Chapel Hill basically is, is a story of the, the man who was run over, his head was severed and sometimes very late at night, usually after midnight you can see him 
hear his headless body walking up and down the train tracks by crossing just outside town as he looks for his head. Wow. Remember been there to Chapel Hill, Luke? My mom, my mom painted a church sign for uh, one of the Chapel Hill churches. Okay. You ever hear of that before? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> Another interesting one in the book that you talk about is the Nolachucky River. Uh, that's more like East Tennessee, but I found that one to be particularly interesting as well, that there's a, a ghost of it. It seems like kind of like a, almost like a, um, where it's just kind of like playing out in a movie almost. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know what you would call it. It'd be kind of like Deliverance meets Dawn of the Dead or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, something along those lines anyway. But, yeah, a lot of ghosts there. That's a you know, very beautiful river, uh, great fishing there and everything. But it's also a very violent river in some places. Uh, a lot of people have drowned there unexpectedly. Uh, people fishing, getting pulled under by the current. And, of course, you know, you've got the uh, Native American girl who was being chased by settlers running through the woods, and all of a sudden she comes to this cliff and couldn't stop and just goes right over the cliff. And, you know, people have seen her on the riverbank, uh, seen her just kind of come out of the woods and act like she's going in to go swimming, but then she just vanishes. Yeah. And the same thing with a guy fishing. Sometimes people... Uh, see this this apparition what looks like a man wearing waders fishing you know just upstream or downstream from him but they get closer and he disappears so yeah very interesting old river there and you know just because of where it is uh, up in the mountains uh, right there in the heart of where the Cherokee uh, lived and hunted and, and all that I think that river and those hills that surround it hold a whole lot more secrets and spiritual things than what we know about today. There's a whole lot more there. It's yet to be discovered. It's like it kind of runs from uh, North Carolina into, I think it like flows into the French Broad River. Yeah. And there's so much that goes on in that area. Oh, yeah, and there's so much history up there, too. And we wanted to talk too about the Thomas House, the Thomas the Thomas Hotel. Oh yeah, definitely. That place, that's one of those places you know you, you're going to go to on a ghost hunt. You don't have to be worried about getting disappointed. You're guaranteed of at least some activity. Uh, oftentimes you get a lot of activity, and you never know really what time of night it's going to start or in what areas. Um, just to give a little primer on uh, the Thomas House. It was built as the Hotel Cloyd back in 1890, and it was built for the many people who came to the area back then to partake of the spring water because they, because they thought it had healing properties. Well, by the 1930s, public interest had diminished. Public interest in spring water had diminished. Most of those hotels shut down, but the Hotel Cloyd kept going. It's been through several changes of ownership over the years and was renamed the Thomas House by its current and most recent uh, owners. Um, A lot of things have happened there over the years, a lot of unfortunate things. Um, You know, a man was shot out front of there by revenue agents. Um, Another man uh, 
was shot inside the hotel by the original owner because he thought the man was messing with his wife. He, he fell over, he was wounded, he fell over the balcony and landed head first on the concrete below, and that took him out. Then uh, the place was being used as a home for boys at one point uh, in the mid-1900s. A um, little boy uh, drowned in a swimming pool. And then there's another story of a man or a boy uh, choking to death in the kitchen one afternoon. And then the, the most prominent ghost there is that of a little girl, eight-year-old girl named Sarah who uh, died there in the year 1928. She had a rare uh, stomach disorder and had actually gone there uh, with her parents at the urging of her doctor to see if, you know, drinking and bathing in that spring water would help her at all because even the doctors thought that was a, you know, had medicinal properties uh, that spring water did. But she died while there, and people encounter her from time to time. Um, a lot of activities, you know, sometimes people get, you know, see apparitions or catch partial apparitions in photos and videos. Uh, you got to get a lot of really, really good EVP there and a lot of flashlight and K2 activity. Uh, the flashlight method and K2 methods are by far the most popular uh, there at the Thomas House, and they yield, you know, they yield good results too. And I think they put that, CNN listed it as, I think, the third most haunted place in America. Yeah, I just saw that on the website, actually, said that it was one of the most haunted places. Are, are you familiar with, um, this is really kind of like more of a Georgia thing, uh, like the Battle of Chickamauga and like the Legend of Green Eyes. Are you familiar with that? Down at the Chickamauga Battlefield? Oh, somewhat. I'm not, uh, I'm not an expert on those hauntings. I haven't done too much research into those yet, but I've met some people who are. Um, I know the Green Eyes thing, that has, you know, it seems that the popularity of green eyes has gone down in recent years you yeah. know compared to what it was and the different sightings and things like that from way way back but i did have a friend who went there one time on a special permission investigation at night and came out of there scared to do any ghost investigation ever again really and they claimed to have encountered not green eyes but bigfoot what? yeah yeah bigfoot at chicago <laughs> And, you know, that's what I said, but, you know, and, you know, that's what I said, but this is a very honest person, you know, and I know that for her to say she encountered anything, it would just about have to jump out in front of her and bite her. You know, that's how honest she is about it. She doesn't, didn't jump to conclusions or anything. But then later on, I heard from someone else who was a very, who at the time was a very well-known Bigfoot researcher that, yeah, there have been sightings and there's been evidence found there around Chickamauga about really? Bigfoot, you know. I don't know whether... I mean, I grew up not too far away from there, like 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 10 miles down the road, pretty much. Yeah, and have you ever seen Bigfoot there? What about Green Eyes? I, I, I've never seen Green Eyes or I've never seen Bigfoot either, so I know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's that, is, that is pretty interesting. 
And um, I spent quite a bit of time down there last year in Chattanooga, uh, pretty much most of November and December, doing a lot of ghost hunting, uh, special special circumstance, something you don't get to do every day. Uh, there was a riverboat dock down there temporarily called the Delta Queen, yep. old, old steamboat. It was docked there in 2008 and to be used as a hotel, but they closed it the first of this year. They're looking at potentially getting the boat back cruising the rivers. But that boat was docked there, and I spent probably, you know, a few nights every week for like two months down there on that old boat as they were closing down the hotel part of it, um, you know, doing a lot of investigation there. Because they've all, people have always said the Delta Queen steamboat was just full of ghosts. And I can tell you that's one of the more eerie places I, I've been before. Uh, it's been very fun, but at the same time, from a ghost hunting standpoint, I mean, there are apparitions that have been made in pictures. Um, I've heard, I haven't done any, but I've heard there are people got some good EVP and flashlight activity there. Um, just, just all kinds of good stuff and a lot of stories about people, uh, including three different captains who died on the boat. Um, the boat was one time back in, uh, World War II used as a military hospital and treated critically wounded soldiers uh, out in California. So a lot of a lot of tragedy and everything's been going on there. Um, also, uh, there's one room there where the water in the sink will turn on and off by itself. Um, it's always interesting to be there at the hotel and they give the key to that room to somebody, you know, you can just, you know, you can sit there 30 minutes and that person will all of a sudden come running back to the desk to turn in their key and say, yeah, they're gone. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've been there on several occasions, not just with people who have stayed in that room, but where people who have stayed in other rooms, they've checked in and a few minutes later come out, you know, demanding a refund saying, we're leaving here. This place is just too haunted for us. Huh. Yeah. It's, uh, that whole thing is, is full of ghosts, but I had a lot of fun there. So, so for for all the skeptics out there listening, uh, like myself, uh, where, what uh, place would you recommend? Uh, number one, you know, here local Tennessee uh, for us to go to that we could have the most likeliness of uh, of an encounter. Well, that'll be easy to recommend because I too am a skeptic. I take everything. Hey, anything that can't be proven right in front of me, the whole thing, I take it with a grain of salt. Uh, and I want to look more, in, you know, deeper into it, trying to find answers. Um, so I can, <laughs> I can tell you that the Thomas House, no matter how big of a skeptic you are, it'll give you a run for your money trying to figure out, you know, what all this stuff is coming from. Um, de- definitely that. As far as the Bell Witch locations are concerned, there's not really any place you can conduct an all-out investigation. Um, you know, up there at the park where they have the museum and old cabin and all that, you know, maybe somebody could get permission from the city. I don't know. But, you know, Tennessee or Middle Tennessee-wise, I would say the Thomas House. And I'll tell you another place which I've been to, but I, I haven't investigated yet, but I'm going to here really soon. Hopefully I can get a, a good group of people to go up there and we all just rent the place out the whole night. And that is called Octagon Hall. 
Mountains up there yeah. in Kentucky. We've had uh, Paul Browning on to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, Octagon Hall for sure. Um, we went up. We, there. Yeah, we went there. Oh, really? We yeah, we didn't get to go inside or anything. Yeah, but. it was closed. It was on a Sunday. We stopped by there on the way back from Louisville, Kentucky, one time. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of information about that place. A lot of. Uh, video footage and everything and you know it's right up my alley old historic place and you know i think they're the cost is only like 50 bucks a person minimum six people and you've got free run of the place you've got the for your investigation that is you know all the grounds including the outside kitchen uh the graveyards the whole mansion everything so it's a pretty good deal there and you know, if everything I hear about that is true, I think that would give a skeptical person a run for their money as well. Hmm. I, I will say it was pretty eerie feeling out there. I don't know about you, Adam, but... Yeah, it's a weird place. Did you go... It's just, a, it's just a weird building in and of itself. Yeah. Did you go to the slave graveyard way back behind the main grounds and to the off to the right i don't think we did i think we kind of we got there no one was there it was closed and we went to like the barn and there were some mannequins in there and luke like was it, freaking out it, yeah, yeah. kind of startled him a little they had bit. it set up as a haunted house yeah we were there like beginning i think it was around like end of september or something like that so they were getting their haunted house started up but it is an interesting place. And Paul Browning, I had him on last year. Do you know Paul? Uh, I'm pretty sure I know who he is, but I'm having trouble placing him. The name sounds very familiar. Yeah, he lives up in Clarksville, and he that was his thing for a while was going up to uh, was going up to the Octagon Hall. Was that uh, Clarksville Ghost Hunters by chance? Maybe it could have been. Think that may- I don't know the name of his group. I know he just pretty much works by himself now. Let's see here. He's yeah. He's been <coughs> looks like he's been a paranormal investigator since two thousand five. Yeah, and it, uh, had, he has some interesting stories about that place. Yeah, I just I just googled him. I'm I'm looking at his stuff right now. I'm I'm big of that. I hear a name. I'm going to Google a person and find out all about him. But yeah, I know who you're talking about now. He. Uh, yeah, he's done quite a few things. Um, in fact, I think he's got something coming up this weekend, too. Uh, Whispers from the Past at Historic Ripa Villa Plantation. Um, don't know if he's going to be in it. Yeah, he's, he's going to be one of the guests there. So, yeah, yeah. he still looks like he's still pretty active and doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, he was a good guy to have on. And, uh, Pat, you know, I want to... We got running a little running out of time. I just wanted to, uh, you know, ask you, uh, you know, where can people get your books, materials? Where can they contact you? Okay, well, there's of course my official website, which is www.patfitchu.com. Then, uh, if you're interested specifically in the Bell Witch, there is a site called www.bellwitch.org. And also, if you if you get a chance to before October 24th, which is only a couple of days away, um, you could get information from bellwitch.org about my upcoming event this weekend at the Thomas House on the uh, 24th and 25th of October. 
Um, as for books, you can get signed copies through the bellwitch.org site. Uh, if you want just a regular unsigned copy, uh, about half of all bookstores carry those books. Actually, a little more than half normally carry those books. Uh, you can also get those at online retailers such as uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And I'll have all that linked to the site. Um, but I uh, want to thank you for coming on. Luke, is there anything you wanted to add? or? Uh, yeah, go ahead and call it. All right. Well, we'll uh, we're going to call it. Uh, Pat, please stay on the line for us. We'll chat with you just a bit. And uh, we'll be right back on Conspiranormal. All right. We're back on Conspiranormal. I uh, want to thank Pat Fitzhugh for coming on. That was an excellent interview. Got some... Uh, some info on some uh, the cool of the Bell Witch haunting and also some other kind of uh, hauntings that were going on here in the United States, uh, well, this part of the United States, in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, uh, Luke, you were uh, kind of tweaking the knobs here, but also you uh, wanted to make an observation. He said about, like, I, I left for just a bit, and uh, he said that you were talking about some people in, like, nursing homes and kind of the stories that they have. Yeah, well, uh, you you were talking about the subject of rabbits and uh, how you like to, uh, you know, see what it means as far as uh, esoteric uh, knowledge collections, you, uh, the symbology, the linkage yeah. between, you know, rabbits and witches and nowadays cats and witches and things like that. And uh, yeah, I will get that to that in a second. But you know, that, and that that got me to thinking about, um, and I said this on a previous show, don't remember which one, but. Um, you can talk to a lot of these old timers around here, you know, that are like up in their seventies, eighties and nineties and they'll tell you all of these crazy little stories about these uh rituals that they do, you know, kinda like uh you know, Heather our, our secretary used to be our our secretary uh the job that me and Adam were at. Yeah. Um, good old know, Heather. Like the like the lock of hair inside the uh in the tree to get rid of allergies, you know, things like that and, and uh uh, these old timers, right. you know, they 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 know a lot about uh, astronomy, astrology, you know, and it it, it kind of contradicts Christian beliefs a little bit, you know. It's it's odd to see someone that's uh, how know, does it contradict it? Well, because uh, you know, like someone that's the Southern Baptist, you know, which is usually the case with a lot of these older people, uh, it just you know it. Some part of it advises against, you know, using astrology as a means to uh, divine with, right? Sure, right. Yeah. Unless you're talking about the blood moons, then it's okay lately, you know, where they talk about the whole, like, blood moon thing and how that's the sign of the apocalypse. Yeah, right, right. If you put some Hebrew-sounding letters, (laughs) sounding names to the blood moons, then it's okay, you know. Well, not not even... Then it's all right. I'm I'm being facetious. (laughs) Not even necessarily a contradiction, but I mean, it's just odd to me to have the two of those yeah. belief systems kind of going on at the same time, and uh, it just stemmed down, I guess, from the settlers, you know, and you know more about the history of the, of the South and how it came to be, but those well, those kind of beliefs just stemmed down over the years and, tr- you know, trickled down, and it, these days it's almost completely faded. It would, go, it would go on, I think, even before that. I mean, you, the definition of pagan... Uh, what pagan actually means is uh, in the uh, in the ancient world was someone that farmed, someone that tilled the earth. That was mm-hmm. the definition of pagan. Right, right. And the different kind of 
you know, beliefs that they had and uh, different kind of deities that were really nature deities. And when uh, Christianity came along, specifically Roman Catholicism, those kind of got overlaid, that kind of got overlaid over what was already there. And a lot of the saints uh, were interpreted as being um, those same kind of deities. Yeah, right, right. So, so those those folk, um, like you would call them like folk medicine or folk knowledge, that kind of thing still stayed. Um, you know, people were, I mean, I, I'd say really up until the Industrial Revolution were in tune with um, the earth and were in tune with what mm. happened. You know, we talked about the kind of Native Americans on the last show with Donna, and those they definitely, I mean, they're ones that still are kind of in tune with the earth and in tune with what's going on, right? And the the fluctuation of the seasons and using astrology or to to predict our astronomy mean, in a way to predict things. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at the farmer's almanac, like it it will tell you. Uh, the perfect time that you need to go look for a new relationship or the perfect time to, to fish, you know, for this certain kind right. of fish. <laughs> you know, the, the perfect time to do things other than just grow plants. I want to make an observation, too, about uh, about the Bell Witch. Um, I've always found it interesting as far as the, uh, you know, the, the, the two Bell sons digging into the Indian Mound. And what that could represent, and what the Bell Witch may have been. Um, you know, we talk a lot about these kind of like Nephilim spirits and all these kind of things. We talked about that with L.A. Marzulli, uh-huh. Rob Skiba, some of these other people that we talked to about it. And it makes me think of the possibility that the Bell Witch may have been some kind of spirit like that that was trapped in that Indian mound. And when, I'm the only one that says this, uh, Troy Taylor in one of his books has postulated that that was the possibility that they put the they put this spirit inside that mound that that mound somehow was containing this creature and or this entity Whoa. and when they dug into it it released it right it, and it, it's it's uh that that makes me think of like uh was it was it king tut that uh, had like the spells or the, yeah. the seals around, and then yeah, the, every... a lot of the pharaonic uh, temp, the 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 tombs had this kind of like the curse, the yeah. King Tut's and, tomb, and, uh, and all a, that kind I of guess thing. like every explorer, or yeah, every explorer, something unfortunate happened to him. A couple yeah. of them died. And... Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness on that too. Um, same same kind of deal. It sounds like you know uh, talismans, uh, curses, uh, hexes, right. whatever. Like kind of like this magic that's going on. Um, behind the scenes mm-hmm. um and, and you'll you'll hear little stories will will pop up you know i, I heard one from cody one time he's talking about uh how this this Kyrie. lady this lady had a cursed uh a cursed flower bed and she would take things from people like when they weren't looking they went to the bathroom or something like that she would take keys and cigarette lighters and stuff like that she was crazy and uh throw it into her garden bed you know with whatever she was growing in there and like use that bed as a means to curse people huh. with their items that she's she's taken from them. Well, my theory is on that is that there was actually this entity was trapped inside this mound, and that the mound could have been some kind of ceremonial place, and that this entity was probably brought forth from that. 
and when it first shows up, it, 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 that it shows up as a dog with a rabbit's head. And gradually, I remember I remember Troy Taylor talking about this in his, in his talk at the first uh, convention that we went to Mid-South Paranormal Convention, the first one I went to, was that gradually the spirit began to manifest itself in a way that would have been familiar to the Indians that were around. Well, now there's a whole new group of people around, these, these European settlers, and then now it starts to gradually get a voice and sing hymns and gradually kind of do what the settlers are doing. And I found that extraordinarily interesting and in what, what the Bell Witch could have been. Uh, you know, and Pat tonight, you know, brought a whole new level to it for me of where he's talking about rabbits and the association that the Bell Witch said it had with rabbits. Mm-hmm. And any time now that I'm hearing these associations with animals, uh, you know, like we talked about owls a lot on this show mm-hmm. and what owls mean. And we talked about this with uh, Dr. Future uh, about a year or so ago and kind of these association with the goddess Hecate and, you know, these different kind of pagan and occult significance of owls. Well, I thought what well, I wanted to type in while I was listening, while I was listening to Pat talk mm-hmm. about it was, Type in rabbits and a cult into Google. And I got an interesting website. And uh, there is an association with rabbits and the occult. And I want to read this real quick. Um, and it's a, most often associated with witches. Which, you know, you have the whole concept of the bell witch. So at one time, this is from this website. Rabbits and hares were the animals most identified with Europe's witches, playing the role now given to cats. Rabbits serves as riches, familiars, and messengers, and were believed to be the form into which witches most frequently transform. The association of rabbits with witches is bittersweet. On one hand, rabbits are the subject of powerful mythology associated with magic, women's power, and the moon. On the other hand, rabbits, like witches, are often hunted. Rabbits are very low on the food chain. Virtually all predators feast on them. Their survival as a species depends on their fecundity, their amazing ability to reproduce quickly, and on their brains. Rabbits are tricksters, able to hide in plain sight. Wild brown rabbits camouflage well, suddenly appearing and disappearing as if by magic. In 1662, Isabel Gowdy, a Scotswoman, apparently volunteered a detailed confession of witchcraft. She described how she and her fellow coven members transformed into hares via a magical chant. English singer Maddie Pryor's song, The Fabled Hare, incorporates, incorporates excerpts from Gowdy's witch trial testimony. A Devon legend describes how witches congregated after dark on Dartmoor Heath. Most people left them alone, but a hunter named Barman consistently disturbed them. Finally enough was enough. One witch transformed into a rabbit, not realizing her true identity, Byron gave chase as she lured him into a magical ambush. Her sister witches surrounded the hunter and his hounds and transformed them into large granite rock formations that may still be seen on Dartmoor, Dartmoor Heath. Sure, that's myth. Mm-hmm. Witch goddess Holda is accompanied by, which I've never heard of this before, by an entourage of torch-bearing rabbits. Rabbit witches serve as entertainment for children in Catherine Pyle's illustrated 1895 children's book, The Rabbit Witch and Other Tales. 
a rabbit witch in a headscarf steals naughty children. In Walter D. Lamar's children poem, The Hare, an old witch hare gets spooked herself. The association of rabbits with witches is not limited to Europe. In China, rabbits are identified with witches, alchemy, and sorcery. Instead of a man in the moon, China has an alchemist rabbit in the moon, endlessly grinding the elixir of immortality with his mortal and pestle, a servant of witch, goss, witch goddess Zi Wang Mu. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. I don't know anything about Chinese mythology. Like, zero. Right. <laughs> you know about Japanese yeah. mythology. Which I'm sure is in some ways similar. Yeah. Um, the, the Koji Ki. Yeah. In the Shintoist text. So why would the Bell Witch associated herself with wabbit, with rabbits? Wabbit. Wabbit. I'm going to get that Vlaskily Wabbit. Uh, man. <clears throat> it just... It seems to me that uh, even in those days, you know, when the Bill family uh, had their farm out there and everything, that they were still close enough to the earth, you know, uh, what I mean by that is like we're all, we're, today, you know, we're so distracted by technology and stuff like that and just could, right. completely consumed in a modern lifestyle. And it's like uh, back then, you know, when they were still close to the earth that uh, they, they could carry out things like, you know, uh, hexes and spells and things like that. <clears throat> and, it, you know, it would actually work. They, they knew what they were doing. They figured it out. Yeah, you kind of live in a different world. Right. Um, you know, I don't buy the fact that, you know, they, they, they say the witch was um, called Kate, and that's because she had this association with the Kate, with this Kate Bats person. I don't buy the fact that she had any association with it. Um, I think there's a definite, with some of these entities, a definite tendency to lie. And, you know, but it's interesting to see this association with rabbits, with this animal, that is also a part of dealing with the occult. And, like, sorcery and alchemy. Yeah. Things fit together really weird, and it's like, I can't quite put my finger on what the link is between some of this stuff. Uh, just kind of universal traits, yeah. I think, you know. I suppose so. And, you know, things like owls and deer being involved with the whole alien abduction phenomenon and definitely the association with owls, with pagan goddesses and being a huge part of the occult, the association with owls, with Bohemian Grove and all these like you've made the point before about all these girls now that they're all have all these they, they Owl owls now you know well, well I've, I've met uh, girls that were obsessed with pigs too yeah uh, pig collections it, it's just um, you know I, it, I like I said before on earlier shows you know I, I'm an intelligent design theorist Somewhat, you know, like I, st- I still borrow from the other theories or whatnot, but uh, I think that there's like some kind of deep-rooted, you know, since since I think that we're made up of the genes, you know, from pigs and, and from uh, reptilians and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, this might be some like, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with that. So deep-seated kind of connection with the animal with or something. It, yeah. Well, I, I think the, I think it's more spiritual. I think it's more yeah. that we maybe it's more the pagan thing that's still coming out in us. Yeah, right. That we still, right. you know, in some way, 
in the back of our minds still identify with these creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. One one thing that I found really interesting, um, and I never said this before on the show, was the, uh, I'll throw this out there, and then we'll stop, was the uh, actor, uh, John Carradine. And uh, Carradine did a lot of different B-movies and stuff. He was, he was the father of David Carradine, who, you know, died mysteriously, you know, with this hanging himself in Bangkok and apparently John Carradine had had the same kind of thing happen to him he died mysteriously in the same place which is odd but uh, John Carradine was we've talked about Jack Parsons Marjorie Coleman Mm -hmm. these pretty serious occultists Carradine would um he had the very deep kind of voice, you know, very deep actorly kind of voice, and he would narrate these their rituals back in the forties and the early fifties. He would narrate them. And uh, there's a movie from my childhood that I remember really loving called Secret of Nim. And in the movie, there's this figure that all the rats and mice go to to talk to. That's like the big wise figure. And that is the Great Owl. And the Great Owl is voiced by none other than John Carradine. Hmm. So what's the link there? The significance right. of the owl and the occult? And John Carradine doing voicing the, the occultic rituals. Yeah, there's there's definitely some missing links there. I don't uh, I, I think the first place to start would to be to dive deep into alchemy and start yeah. and, you know, like They'll, they'll use something like the red dog. You mix the red dog and the purple flower together. and you know, Right. And... Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, what was it that uh, uh, the witch family, you know, the black dog. The, the names, yeah. Okay. Right. Mathematics, psychopathy, and Jerusalem. Right. And, and, uh, and what I thought when I heard that is like every time, you know, the, I keep going back to this ayahuasca documentary that I watched that time, but. Every time someone like seems to face their their demons, rather like under the influence of psychedelics or in dreams or just however they're doing it, you know, they're actually like putting a face on their own demons. They always have these really weird friggin' names, like every yeah. every, every kind of paranormal entity like that pops up uh, across the board always has this these really strange names that make no sense. You were telling me. Um... Well, you were telling me, because I was showing you a book that I have about the history of the occult, and you were telling me that some of the entities that are in, like, what is it, the, uh, the what is that thing, the, the, the Key of Solomon or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. that people are actually seeing some of that stuff, those same kind of entities in uh, ayahuasca experience, experiences. Right, yeah. Uh, that, that's something that, that I am constantly kind of conflicting about in my head, you know, um, is that they're all drawn out, you know? Uh, who, who, I guess it was Agrippa that that drew the pictures of like all of the demons. He, he kind of was the first one to map yeah. them out and give them names and everything like that. Yeah, and draw had, sketches like, of them. President Amalgabost or yeah, some crap yeah. like that. Yeah, there's, there's tons of them. There's tons of them. And it, what's what's conflicting for me is that like you know I I have the belief that demons are are created, uh, you know. From from negative traits in people, 
that, yeah. that grow and you know and you feed that you feed it more energy and it becomes bigger demon and then you actually create that in another parallel dimension going on at the same time but anyway you know that that's what's conflicting there is like if, if someone is into the occult and they're trying to uh, conjure you know these entities how do they know it's ever going to look the same like why would it look the same you know is is that what is what Agrippa drew yeah. out in his books? Psychography really is a is a real term. It's a mathematical term. It means a distinct and often subordinate group within a group. Mathematics, a subset that is not empty of a mathematical group. I don't know what that means, but that's just strange. Yeah, that's one of the strangest damn things I've ever heard. Mathematics, typography, Jerusalem, and Black Dog. Weird. What the hell? <laughs> Don't know. Connections beyond connections, my friend. <laughs> well, I'm ready to call it. We got over. Um, we need to get busy watching Rotor. So, yeah. Uh, we will call it uh, next week. I have John Tinney. And... Uh, Coming on, we're going to talk about uh, their show, Ghost Stalkers. He's going to play the tin whistle for oh, us. Oh, yeah! <laughs> on, uh, also, another show on Destination America, uh, which uh, they're going out and investigating places with portals. And uh, looking forward to that one. I think it'll be interesting. Luke, you may or may not be here, because I think possibly uh, Bass Nectar may be playing. Uh, that's Bass, Adam. Bass Nectar. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not into all these hip Bass bands. Nectar, like you was someone squeezing a bass on stage and like getting the nectar out of him. Bass Nectar, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, my, my girlfriend's planning my schedule out for me now. <laughs> there you go, man. That's, that's what happens. Next Wednesday, you're going to do this, and Saturday, we're going to do, do that, this together. And this and is happening. Yeah, and then you're going to work on my car. I hope she doesn't listen to the show. Uh, I'm I'm screwed if she does. (laughs) This one might, though, dude. She might listen to the show. Anyway. I'm just kidding, anyway. She's not really like that. Right. That's, yeah. I'll edit that part out. (laughs) But anyway, join us next week and uh, for more fun on... Conspiranormal! Said the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. Oh, I like the way you shake that thing. Watch honey drip, I can't keep away. Nerves of
Black 